welcome. The Division of Career Pathways launched the following podcast episode in order to educate and support UCI students and alumni with their professional endeavors. Visit our site at career.uci.edu for additional resources. Okay, welcome everyone. We're gonna wait just a few moments to let folks join. Thank you for being with us this evening. Like I said, I'll wait just a few seconds to make sure everybody has an opportunity to join this session. Okay, we're gonna go ahead and begin. Welcome to the kickoff day of Health Professions Week. And we have our spotlight tonight is on the profession of nursing. And before I introduce our spotlight speaker for this evening, I was going to go ahead and do just a brief overview of some upcoming programming. Um, I do want to mention that we do have a Q&A within this webinar. So as I'm interviewing Becky, I know you're going to have questions and you'll need clarification. So just go ahead and populate that Q&A. And I promise to reserve some time towards the end so that Becky can respond to individual questions that you might have about nursing. Um, I did wanna make mention that this is Health Professions Week. This is our first day. We have a full array of programming extending to the 15th. And I encourage you to visit our website and register for any and all programs. Uh, the cornerstone event that we have is the Health Professions Fair. And that is going to be outdoors. We're really excited. It's going to be in the Biological Sciences Plaza. It'll be in person. And that's the 14th uh, from 11 to two. And we have a range of employers that are coming as well as health professional schools as well. So if you're exploring nursing and pharmacy and other professions, um, we have representation there. So do visit us out in the Biological Sciences Plaza um, on Thursday. We have a number of career fairs coming up in addition to Health Professions Week and Health Professions Career Expo, our fair, we have a public service and social impact niche fair that's gonna be on April 20th from 11 to two, that is in person. So it's exciting that we're getting back to doing some in-person events. Uh, we do have a major virtual event, that's the spring career fair, all majors, all class standings, that's May 5th, mark your calendar from 10 to two. If you're interested in internships, part-time jobs, full-time jobs, all class standings, all majors, that's virtual through Handshake. And then we have our Lunch to Summer series. Don't miss that. That's gonna be May 2nd to May 6th. These are in-person and virtual workshops that will help you navigate into summer with career confidence. So without further ado, I did want to introduce our spotlight speaker. Um, I happen to know Becky quite well. Uh, when I taught a class at another UC campus, Becky was in my career development class and we've stayed in touch all these years and I've been able to, it's really a point of pride to see her evolution from undergraduate to practicing professionals. So we're going to be diving deep into nursing tonight. And Becky, um, if you could please kick us off. Um, I wanted to ask you briefly just how you decided on nursing and what really solidified that decision for you? Okay. Um, hi guys. It's really excited to see 40 participants that are interested in nursing. That's awesome. Um, so I think I first became interested in nursing when I was an undergrad and I was not very decisive on my path and I was very confused and exploring, you know, all these different classes and different pathways. And, you know, I felt like I had a lot of friends that were just, uh, they, they knew they were going to be pre-med or they knew they were going to do research or they knew they were going to do clinical psychology, but I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and actually that's, I think what led me to professor Johansson's class, because that was very helpful in, um, in assisting me to kind of find some of my personality traits that would help me uh, pick a career that would be a good match for that. But anyways, um, in the mix of classes and 
socializing and everything, I started to do a lot of volunteering at the hospital. Um, and I think I had an inkling that I was more interested in medicine when I first started. Um, but then I realized that actually it's really the nurses that are at the forefront of patient care. Um, it's a team, it's, it's a team effort and everyone does their part. But I think the thing that I really loved the most was that um, the nurses were the ones that were doing the most interaction with the patients. Um, and I thought that was really cool, um, especially when I did some volunteering in an ER, actually the UCLA Santa Monica ER, um, that was pro those are probably like my fondest memories, probably solidifying uh, how I got into nursing. It was through that volunteer experience that I really got to know some of the staff very well. Um, and just to touch on that a little bit, if you do try to do some volunteering, I think it really helps to really, you know, be a good volunteer and genuine and um, get to know the people you're volunteering with because you can develop relationships with them and they'll give you all sorts of advice um, and really, really helpful advice that can kind of maybe steer you in the direction that you're looking for. That's great. Thank you for, for starting us off with that in terms of how you made that decision. So Becky, many of the students on the call are not BSN, um, in the BSN program, but rather they're pursuing bachelor's degrees, BA or BS degrees here, non-nursing bachelors. So how did you transition from the BA in psychology to a UC Mechan degree? And then what advice do you have for students that are taking this route? It's a really good question. Cause I, I mean, I, I had the same question if you, like a few years ago, I was in your shoes cause I was a psychology major at UCLA and I was like, well, how do I do this? Like, what, what route do you take? This seems so complicated. There's not that many programs. And I was a little bit overwhelmed because it seemed like everybody who was already getting their BSN, um, it seemed like at that time there was, that was it. And I didn't know what to do, but um, there are programs. So like UCLA has their Mechan program. Um, I'm not sure what, if UCI, I should have looked this up. I'm sorry. I, I don't know if UCI has, an entry level master's program. I know they have a really good DNP program, um, but there's there's various schools around the Los Angeles area and there's lots of schools of, if you can widen your net a little bit um, and be willing to not just stay in the, you know, Southern California area, there's lots of schools that um, kind of solve that problem for us. Um, they know that there are people who might not have known their pathway um, but are nonetheless like very um, capable of the studies and also um, might actually bring another perspective than people who went in automatically after high school. Um, so these programs, they're usually either an entry level master's program or an accelerated bachelor's program. And then there's also like these programs that are um, the first part you get your bachelor's in, and then the second part you get your advanced practice, your APP, um, or like a nurse practitioner degree. Um, lots of different routes to get to being a nurse. Um, and I think what I did was, I actually like, this is gonna sound really old, but I actually just made like a binder, um, like not a Google doc or a file or anything on the computer. I like literally made a printed out binder and had my little file tabs. And I was just highlighting, you know, this school needs this, this school needs that because a lot of the bachelor's degree prerequisites, um, that you might be taking if you're, you know, getting a bachelor's in sociology or psychology or or whatever, it probably isn't gonna cover all of the classes that you will need for a entry-level master's or an accelerated bachelor's. You're probably going to need an anatomy and physiology class. Um, you're probably going to need some chemistry. Um, there was even some programs that like required religion. Um, so there's, and all the schools, of course, they don't have a standardized path, so they, maybe that's part of their weeding process. Who has the stamina to go through all of these different, <laughs> these different um, prerequisites? Because you'd think that all the prerequisites would be the same. Um, at least when I was doing it, they weren't. So that was a little bit frustrating because you'd have like three schools that you'd need um, these for, and then you'd have like 
three schools that you need these for. And um, you end up just having to do all of them if you want to really maximize your chances of starting a program the next year. If you have time to be like really selective, I guess you could just say, this is what I want. This, I, I am only willing to go here and thus I am only going to do that. Um, but I didn't really have, I, I didn't really want to put my life on pause anymore. So I just took a lot of classes at community college after graduating UCLA because um, it was very affordable. And honestly, SMC is like a wonderful school. Like I think sometimes I got a better, um, like better knowledge and more out of the classes at SMC sometimes than I did at UCLA. Um, but, and then another thing to look at is uh, some schools require a GRE um, or a T's test. Um, I didn't wanna have to take any more of those tests. So I narrowed it down to the schools that didn't require those. Um, but also this was uh, several years ago. So I don't, I know that some of like the Cal State schools aren't requiring like SATs anymore. I don't know if schools are doing this anymore per se, but that was something that I had to look into. And I would just suggest you look into doing that as well. Mm -hmm. And just to add to that, um do look and see, uh, Becky is absolutely right, if the GRE or whatever entrance requirement <clears throat> is actually required because um, there are institutions that aren't requiring that uh, for 2023, et cetera. Um, I just wanna thank uh, Francis uh, added here that UCI does have a MECM program. It's called an MEPN. So thank you for that content. And again, please use that Q&A as we're as we're diving through these, we can populate that and you can ask specific questions to Becky. Um, so Becky, thank you for, for that information about that transition from BA to Meccan. Um, can you talk a bit about what clinical and research experience you had and, and what you recommend? Um, yes, so uh, I, I was working full-time uh, as a student when I was an undergrad. Uh, like, I mean, I didn't necessarily have to, but I really wanted to. I, I, I think everyone's comes from a little bit different backgrounds. And um, so, so I had, I, you know, had to work, but I really wanted to make time to do some research as well um, because it's really important. Uh, I feel like maybe now more than ever, it seems like that's really something that they emphasize in nursing school is, re is research. And actually like in programs like um, the UCLA's Meccan and probably UCLA, UCI's MEPIN program, it's probably preparing you to be like a clinical nurse leader where you do a lot of quality improvement projects, which needs, uh, you, to be able to do those projects, you need to have really good understanding of how research is conducted and how to interpret um, research and statistics. Um, so a basic foundation in research methods and statistics, I think is really important. I think, especially if you're going to a more like high level, high, high level program, I think if you're, um, this might come off the wrong way, but if you're going to go get your associate's degree at a community college, that's great. You're gonna be a really well-prepared nurse um, skills wise, maybe even more prepared than some of us graduating from the Meccan program or the MEPIN program or whatever. Um, but the one thing that the, the Meccan program and the, probably the Meppin program too, is that they really prepare you to be critical thinkers. Um, you need to be a critical thinker to be a nurse. Um, and I think that, um, I mean, now more than ever, uh, I mean, I think, I don't know if she's been sentenced yet, but, uh, there was the nurse in Vanderbilt who, um, made a mistake, which, uh, was a grave mistake, but I don't think the punishment was really, I mean, it's very frightening actually uh, that she was punished uh, like criminally for what she did because people make mistakes all the time. Um, that's a whole other discussion for the time, but um, you need to be a critical thinker because the, the better at critical thinking you are, the less chances of a mistake you're gonna be able to make. A lot of people think of nurses as just being people that execute orders. Oh, the doctor put this in, so do it. Well, guess what? Doctors make mistakes too. They're humans. We're the last line of defense for the patient. Something looks funny in that order. You need to say, huh, that's kind of funny. I wonder why they put that in there. That patient doesn't have that condition. Maybe it's for the wrong patient. 
And then you need to reach out to the doctor and say, I noticed that you did this. I just wanted to double check that this was what you were intending to do because it doesn't really, um, I, I was a little bit surprised. And then lo and behold, oh yes, that was for the wrong patient. Thank you so much, good catch. So you have two types of nurses. You have nurses that are really, really good at following orders. And then you have nurses who are great at following orders, but also critical thinkers and are probably the safest practitioners. So critical thinking, anything to, that you can do to make yourself a better critical thinker um, is gonna help you in the long run. Uh, and getting a foundation in research is really important as well because it's all about evidence-based practice in medicine and in nursing and in pharmacy, actually any healthcare professional. So if you are in, in um, like if you don't really know what interests you most at this point, it's regardless, it's important. So I did some research and exercise in metabolic disease research lab when I was at UCLA. Um, it was awesome. It was really fun because you know, you were running VO2 max tests and DEXA scans and looking at data pertaining to insulin resistance. And there's just a lot of young people who are like really interested in getting people metabolically more healthy. So that was really fun. So if you can find something that's like interesting to you, like don't, don't do something that you're going to like hate just to put it on your resume, find something that you're going to really like and look forward to going to and really willing to like commit a few years to either if it's volunteered or paid. Um, uh, when I did it, it was just it was volunteer because it was so it was so hard to get a position in a, in a research lab. Um, but anything you can do to get involved in research, started to understand evidence, uh, evidence based practice a little bit more. Um, I mean, I'll be straight honest with you. I was never published, but that didn't really matter to me. Um, but I know that that matters to a lot of people and, um, the, you, the best chances of you getting published is if you spend time doing research. Mm -hmm. So that's my advice when it comes to research. And Becky, you mentioned, uh, the ER, um, can you talk a little bit more about some of the clinical experience you had before applying to nursing? Yeah. So I don't know if they're still running these programs, um, and what UCI's equivalent would be, but UCLA had something called care extenders. So who was that person who was paying attention in the beginning? Uh, Francis, maybe, you know, <laughs> um, if so, it wasn't just like a hospital volunteer where you're like wheeling people around, which is great. Like that's also a great experience because you're dealing with hands-on patient care and it's also very humbling. Um, but the nice thing about the volunteering through care extenders was that, you know, I think it was three month rotations. You could always stay longer, but you'd apply for what interested you the most. So I was really lucky. I got to be on like many different floors, but um, my favorites were emergency department, which I would think I was there for like probably six months or so. And then interventional radiology and the cardiac cath lab. Um, and you're like, I mean, when I was there, like, I don't know if they let you do this these days, but like someone would roll in like, like coding and like, they'd be like, all right, like CPR now go. And like, like you were actually physically helping, which was really cool. I mean, some days it was slower than others. You're like, you know, prepping the, the blood drawing tube bags so that like the phlebotomist has everything they need in one bag, but other days is really busy and you could help splint and cast, um, help people. I mean, this was exciting to me when I was volunteer, like helping people to use a bedpan. Like I didn't know how to do that when I was like, a 19 year old, like I've never, I mean, maybe some, some of you have family members who have unfortunately been sick and you've had the opportunity to help them at home. Um, but I was like, I guess, fortunate that I didn't have to experience that. So I had no idea how to even do that. Um, so that was a good learning experience. Um, and then, you know, you learn how to do the basics, like vital signs, and it just started your, your thinking process. Like, well, why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? Um, and you have access to I mean, we had access to charts and stuff, so you can kind of connect the dots as you're as you're going. Like they're they're coming for in for this, and the doctor ordered this, and the nurse is doing this, and you were kind of helping in any way that they needed. Um, and that was just really such a like a like an amazing experience. And the cath lab was really cool because an interventional radiology was really cool because it's like a kind of like a procedural area. Um, 
that you probably don't get to see very often unless you're someone who works in one or you have an unfortunate circumstance where you need to go and have an intervention there. Um, so it was neat to see it like, um, cause you know, there's a ton of med surge nurses and tons of ICU nurses and um, lots of like geriatric nurses, but there's only like one cath lab and one interventional radiology area. So it's, it was interesting to see something that was very different and um, more procedure related. Thank you so much for sharing about your clinical experience. Um, I'm gonna bring you back to your application. Um, and again, it looks like we have a few questions populating the, the Q&A, so keep those coming. Um, but can I bring you back to your personal statement and that journey? Um, how did you decide on a focus? How long did it take you to write it? Did you show it to other folks? And what was your process there? It's a really good question. I think that it was like one of those experiences where you like make a draft and you're like, oh, I don't like it. And you make a draft and you're like, oh, I don't like it. And then you have this process of like, what, what is important? What's not important? What are they looking for? So I, and, and also I, I think like from a formal or former faculty perspective as well, I think I bring a little bit of a unique experience in like sharing what I think might be pertinent. I think what the school wants to see is not someone who has just gotten straight A's and done nothing else with their, with their life. Sorry, let me just um, grab something to drink water. Mm -hmm. um, so, I think they want to see that you've had some type of experience, whether it be volunteering or working as a patient aide or CNA or care partners, what they call them at UCLA, uh, or an EMT, some type of volunteer or research experience, something that's not just your schoolwork. Um, or also like if you did like a medical mission or if you had like, if you were in a student organization in undergrad where you like, I don't know, like went to Mexico and volunteered doing stuff like that. I'm sorry. Bless, <coughs> bless you. It's a lot of talking. So thank you. for. <laughs> no worries. But I think something that sets you apart from your grades, obviously grades are very important. The higher you can get your grades, the better. Um, and I'll say something about that in another second, but for, in terms of the application, the higher you can get your grades is obviously better, but if you can somehow manage to also be involved in extracurriculars, that would be wonderful. Um, and, okay, so we were talking about the essay, right? Mm -hmm. The personal statement, yeah. How so you went about sort of the focus of that essay. Yeah, so the, for the focus of that, I think you wanna write about something that's gonna make you stand out from other people. Um, so grades don't make you stand out. Um, volunteering makes you stand out a little bit. Um, your different experiences are very um, pertinent, but you need to find that one thing that's gonna make them say, that's gonna make them pause and say, huh, she's worth putting in that pile instead of that pile. Um, so whether that be something like, you know, not saying that everyone needs to have a sob story at all, because if you focus on that and you make it a sob story, that's not good either. But if you can find something that you maybe overcame or something that was like, that you did, um, that you organized, something that was interesting and challenging, and you're able to um, connect everything else back to that, that could be really helpful. So like for me, I grew up with epilepsy and that was really tough, but I, life goes on. So um, I think I used all of my different volunteer experiences, research experience, travel experiences. And I kind of also tied in overcoming adversity and what like, and also compassion. Like, so if you are a patient yourself, I'm sure there's gotta be some of you guys who have been hospitalized. There's 40 people here. I would assume that there's probably a handful of people who have at least been in the hospital a few times as a patient. Um, 
hopefully not everyone, but I'm assuming that some of you probably have. And I think people who have been patients before naturally have a little bit more empathy for others because they've underwent these experiences themselves. So if you can, you know, have something that's unique that sets you apart from somebody else and then tie it all together with everything else. Um, you know, I, you know, so you grow up with seizures, you're exposed to the healthcare system, you realize it's something that interests you and you wanna get involved somehow so that you can help other people. How do you start doing that? Starting to you know, experiment with what's interesting to you, volunteering, research, and then realizing the academic rigor that it would take. So it's trying to take some challenging classes, improving yourself in those classes, doing well. Um, so I would say, Find something unique about yourself. Maybe ask some of your friends like, hey, what do you think is unique about me? If you can't self-identify that. Um, and then also put in those other extracurriculars and school and then tie it all together. Um, so don't be really fluffy. Don't use a lot of extraneous words. Um, try to be succinct yet very informative because you will have uh, you know, a character limit or a page limit um, and try to have a really good introduction that's captivating and a really good conclusion. You want to leave them with something that's they're, they're going to remember. Really good advice. So we do have a writing center that can help you and Division of Career Pathways can help you with brainstorming, uh, but excellent advice, Becky. Uh, my next question is, um, how did you decide on your current area and former areas of specialization within nursing? And, and when do students decide on that specialization? So I think for most people, it's many people come in with an interest, like they have an idea with what interests them, but then many people don't. And then some people think they know what they like and then they go try that and then they actually don't like it. Um, but in nursing school, you're exposed, you're, you have like lots of clinical rotations. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the rotations are more confined to what's more populous in nursing, like medical surgical nursing, um, which I, I really, I don't know if you guys know what that is, but it's basically like um, most of the floors in the hospital, many of the floors would be like medical surgical nursing. So you have someone who's like getting ready to go to surgery or they are post-surgery, then that's like a surgical patient. Then you have like more medical patients, like people who come in with like COPD exacerbations or heart failure or something. They don't necessarily need a surgery, but they need medical treatment. And then you have more higher acuity patients who need cardiac monitoring. That would be called telemetry. And then you have something called progressive care, which are PCU, which means they're not quite intensive care, ICU level, but they really do require more extensive monitoring. Um, so the, you might have like chronically vented patients there or, um, patients who are, um, post stroke, um, post MI, but stable enough to not be in ICU. And then you have intensive care. And this is like, if, you know, you've watched on TV and you see like, you know, people who are, um, intubated and sedated on medications and, um, really like the sickest of the sick people are in ICU. Um, so those are your, your kind of four basic categories. Then you have like a lot more specialties. You have like oncology, um, which can either be like a telemetry oncology or a, or a non-telemetry oncology. Um, you also obviously have like pediatrics and maternity or at like L&D and uh, postpartum, all of those uh, subspecialties. I think unfortunately in nursing school, it's just such a short period of time. I know it might seem like a really long time when you're in it, but unfortunately they really only dedicate, um, we'd work, we were quarters at UCLA. So you only had like one quarter of pediatric experience and one quarter of labor and delivery experience. So it's like really quite limited. Um, but a lot of these programs will have kind of like, it's, it's not called a capstone. It's, um, it's, it's called immersion. And it makes sense when you think about it, because it's like you're immersing yourself into an experience. So what happens is at like the end of nursing school, you kind of, from all of these other rotations that you've had, you um, start to think about what interests you the most. So like by the end of like the first year of nursing school, you kind of have a sense of what interests you. 
And then depending on the school, I don't, you know, I, I could only speak for UCLA, but they kind of say, all right, like prioritize what's important to you, the specialty, the shift, how far away from it you live. Um, because not everyone's going to get like their first choice. Like we are guests in the hospital system and we need to be very grateful that these hospital systems are allowing us to uh, learn there. It's a privilege. Um, so we, you're not going to like, if you want to have day shift in the ICU and the closest hospital towards you, um, you, you might get, if you're like the top of your class, you might get that, but uh, it's very hard to get everything that you request. So like if you live super far away from um, most of the hospitals, you might pick what's closest to you because it's a very intense period where like you are working, you are paired with a nurse or two nurses and you are working their schedule and you still have class too. So you have to be able to manage your, your class and then also essentially working full time. Um, but obviously like you, you still like know nothing like in the scheme of things when you're starting off immersion. It's it's probably the best experience for nursing students because it's the it's when you get the most hands-on. So you have your your foundation and your books and you have clinical rotations that are still pretty limited, but then you get to do this immersion experience where you're there like three days a week for 12, 12 which turns into like 13 hour shifts and you're not just doing patient care, which, I mean, that is what you're doing the most of, but you're also like getting to know what like nursing life is, you know, you're, you're learning more about it. So I, I would say that towards the end of your first year, you might have an inkling of what you really like based off of the rotations you've been able to do. But after immersion, I think you'll have like a really good understanding of like, you know, this, this was great, but maybe it's not for me. Maybe I need something that's a little less, um, fast pace and I need to work on my time management and priority more on med surge or yeah, med surge. I'm really not excited by it. I'd like to be in the ER where it's fast pace and go, go, go. Um, so I think it's, it takes time for some people and then some people just automatically know what they, what they want to do. Well, that was really educational about, about that journey of specializations. And you talked about nursing life. So if you can, and I know that there's probably no such thing as a typical day, but can you walk um, those on the call through what is a day like for you as a nurse? And I know your, your practice area is neurology currently. Um, and, and what was it prior, Becky? It was, has it always been neurology? Um, kind of. Uh, mm -hmm. So when I first graduated, um, I, you know, that's another thing. Don't, so if you do end up choosing nursing and you, you take away anything from this talk, like, you know, three years from now when you're finishing your MECIN program or MEPIN program, don't freak out about finding your first job. It will happen. You'll get through it. It's really, really tough. Um, it seems like it's like, like the worst thing that's happening in the moment. But like, I, that's the one thing I regret is like, you know, don't stress out about things that you can't control. Um, so that once you're a nurse and you have experience, it's very easy to find another job. It's a little more, more harder to find your first job. So just take, keep that in the back of your head because I don't want you guys to really get preoccupied and worried before you take board exams about like, where am I gonna work? I'm never gonna find a job. You will find a job and you're gonna be a great nurse. You just need to chill. Um, so for me, I really, really wanted to move down to the South Bay because that's where my grandma lives. Um, and she was needing some help. You know, she has Alzheimer's and I was kind of the one to helping take care of her too. Um, so there's Torrance Memorial and there's Providence. Um, and I was just really wanting to get into one of those hospital systems because it would be very convenient. And they also were great hospitals. Um, I just couldn't have imagined staying up at UCLA and going back and forth and back and forth. Um, so I actually, so Torrance Memorial is an amazing hospital. It's, I can't speak highly enough of it. I loved working there, um, but they had like this open house. So um, it's not something where, you know, you're going to get an interview, but it's like a rapid, a rapid thing where you, you know, walk in and you meet three people from a certain unit you, you know, you tell them you're interested in med surge, telemetry, PCU, or ICU. 
like, what's your area? And then they kind of just like shuffle you there and you have like five minutes and they're asking you a million questions. Um, and some of them are like funny. I think one of them, a lot of the time they want to make sure you're a good fit for their unit. It might not be like you're an A plus student, but if you are someone that's going to fit in with the unit culture, that's really important because there's always, there's always those nurses that, that rock the boat in a not good way. It could be in a good way if you're changing like a bad culture, but there's always people that will come in and think they know more than other people and really kind of throw the culture off. So they ask you some questions that are more like kind of funny, not, not serious. Like, you know, if you had to go to an Island, what three things would you bring? Um, so it's just really random. Like, how can you prepare to answer that? Um, but then, you know, they would call you back and say, Hey, you know, we, we liked you. So if you'd want to come back for a formal interview, and I think after that, I think there was either one or two interviews after the, um, the open house. And then there is a job offer. And then, of course, that waiting period is, is like really nerve wracking. You just don't know what's going on in your life. Like I highly recommend you like forget about everything and just go like travel. Go do something to get your mind off of it because you can't change. You can't change the past. You can work really hard to create a really good portfolio and make yourself the best you that you can be. But once it's already done, go have fun because you're not going to have a ton of time to do that when you're a new grad. That'd be my best advice. Um, so I was hired at Torrance. I worked on their neuro PCU, um, which was most, I mean, there was a lot of everything on that unit, um, but a lot of strokes, a lot of confused patients, um, we, we had, you know, obviously we had like a lot of other things too, not just neuro, but any time you had a patient that was a stroke for sure, or anything neuro related, potentially neuro related, they get fed to us from the emergency department. Um, and so I started to, you know, really learn a lot about neuro and um, I really just liked a lot of our neurologists. They were just so smart and um, interesting. And the all the different types of disease processes in neurology were just really interesting to me. You have like vascular neurology, you have the neuromuscular, you have um, like degenerative neurodegenerative disorders. Um, and in the hospital, you have these acute encephalopathic patients that are confused because of like either metabolic reasons or you, that's, I mean, it's your job, not, not as a nurse, but like now as a nurse practitioner, it's my job to figure out like why they're confused. Um, so you have like chronic issues, you have chronic issues that are exacerbated, then you have like an acute on a chronic issue. Um, so that was my first job actually is what really sparked my interest for when I became a nurse practitioner, where I really wanted to focus on. Um, in between that, um, I was asked to be part of a palliative care team during COVID. Um, and I, I really love that. And I think it's really actually helped me a lot in neurology as well, because um, I'm, I don't, a lot of people don't know what palliative care is. They just assume that it's hospice. It's like, I'm the person that's coming to talk to you when you're dying. Um, so like, you're the death nurse, like go away. Um, and that's not really the case, like, because, you know, we have a lot of patients that have chronic illness and nobody knows what's important to them. Like, we might not be able to like reverse your heart failure completely or your COPD completely, but we can get to know you well enough to figure out what's important to you and what's not important to you and how we can best um, maximize the quality of your life. Obviously maximizing like quality and quantity would be the best, but um, you know, these chronic diseases are really, it really just, everyone's such a different person, you know, and what might be really important to one person might be like not a concern at all for the next person. So we were kind of there in COVID it was different because you had this crazy times where everyone's dying. Um, so yes, they did use us as the, the team to talk to family members um, and trying to get to know people who in that sense couldn't talk for themselves. They were in ICU and they were on the ventilator and we had no clue what was important to them. Um, so those two experiences while working at Torrance Memorial and the neuro unit, and then in the palliative care team really helped me kind of narrow down where I wanted to work as a nurse practitioner. Um, 
And now as a nurse practitioner, I work at a private practice. It's in like Long Beach and Los Alamitos. And actually the physicians that are my mentors who I work with, a lot of them actually um, are amazing teachers, mentors, and they mentor uh, the UCI students. We have a lot of UCI residents coming through our practice every, like every week actually. Um, so uh, that being a nurse practitioner is like completely different than being a nurse. So uh, your typical day as a nurse is you're gonna have typically, typically 12 hour shifts, uh, it's either a day or day or night shift, like 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. or 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. But of course, there's like, you know, some ERs have different different shifts. Like they might start at 11 or you might start at three or you could be an OR or PACU and have a different schedule. But just like generally speaking, the majority of nurses, I would say, like work 12 hour shifts and you are given a certain patient assignment for the day. And sometimes that kind of turns into a few days at a time if you're working your days all together. And it's your responsibility to be taking care of those patients the whole time, uh, whether that be like four patients, five patients, or two, like an ICU, like you might just have two patients or one patient. Like if they're really critically ill, they might just, you might just have one patient because um, they could be that sick. Um, but so your job is to take care of, take care of them and critically think about what you're doing. So they need to, you know, be cleaned up or they need to, and I see you, obviously most patients can't really do for themselves there. So you are doing everything for them. So you would be turning, changing and repositioning them. You would be giving them their artificial nutrition through their, they have tubes either go through their nose or their surgically placed ones in their belly. You'd be giving their medications either um, in whatever form they're, they're ordered IV or through their their tube. I mean, some people are awake and eating and talking in ICU, but it's, they're usually not patients that are staying there for a very long time. Um, and then you'll be, you know, monitoring them and they'll be on, you know, you'll be taking care of doing everything directly for them. Whereas, um, and it's actually like really, really fun. I, I think, you know, if something needs to get done, like you're the one who does it, like someone needs an IV and, um, they need their labs drawn and they need a Foley catheter and they need a urinalysis or they need this. Like you're the one that gets to do that. Like, it's pretty cool that you have all these skills that you can just do. Um, and that's really fun. Uh, and then when you become a nurse practitioner, and that's not like the trajectory for every nurse. Uh, there's lots and lots and lots of different options that you can do. It was just something that happened to interest me. Um, and when you become a nurse practitioner, the role really changes because you're a provider now. You're the one that's putting in the orders for the nurses to carry out. Um, so you really need to have a higher level of critical thinking because what you order better be right because you could kill a patient if it's not. Um, that's really sobering. <laughs> so Becky, I want to, I want to um, take a look at time and I want to make sure that I'm able to get these questions that the students have for you. Um, so I wanna just kind of go down the list here. So the first one is, how did you stand out for the Mechan program? And then you mentioned before you were working. Um, and so how, did, how are you able to pay for the program? Were there any scholarships or loans? Okay, uh, what was the, the first question? The first part is, um, how, did, how did you stand out as a Meccan applicant? I think as a Meccan applicant, I, well, I also went to go talk to, it, okay, the power of in-person meeting, um, which is now, of course, harder, because I don't, I, are you guys back to in-person classes at UCI? Or uh, we, we are. Uh, the DCP, for example, is hybrid, um, and then many, many classes are in-person, and others are still virtual, so it's hybrid environment. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think the power of an in-person meeting or a personalized email is really understated. Um, I don't know if this is any, if it helped me really at all, but when I, when I had an inkling, I wanted to do nursing and I was really interested in the Meccan program. I actually went to the, the school of nursing building, the factor building. And I met with a woman that would then become a, a mentor and a friend of mine. Um, and I didn't know it at the time. Um, but Rhonda Flanoy Younger, she's just um, like the academic kind of um, person who helps review everything 
and um, kind of gives advice to applicants and, um, but is on the like review, review committee. Um, so I went and talked to her. I was like, hey, this is where I'm at. Like all cards on the table. This is where I'm at. This is who I am. What is your advice for me at this time? Like I am like really in awe of your program. I'd really like to be a student here. Like what can I do to maximize my chances to do that? Um, and she and I kept in touch. And she, and she was like very honest. She's like, obviously I can't like promise you're going to get in, but you know, you're, you're doing really well. You probably have high chances. Um, so I think the power of an in-person meeting is really, really helpful, especially for schools that don't do interviews. I think it's a kind of a big mistake that a lot of these schools don't do interviews because there's a lot of students that are, they really are eager to please, but in a sense, they're really just want to get their A and then leave. Um, there's not, there's a, there's not as much critical thinking. And um, I would say as before, because um, I was teaching too. So um, there's a lot of people that really just want to get their A and then leave and have their, 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 um, not report card, transcript, um, just have all straight A's. But you really have to, you know, start thinking about like, these A's are great, but like, do I know what I'm doing? Like, am I a safe a provider? Am I safe? Do I know what I'm doing? Did I learn a lot? Um, I like to see when people are like thinking, like asking really good questions and thinking. So if you have somewhere that interviews you, I think that's really where you can stand out a place that interviews because then they get to see the, the true you and who you are and you can bring your personality um i'd say like write a strong personal statement that again you can put something in there that helps separate you from other people because there's going to be so many people applying for limited spaces and everyone's going to try to say oh i did i you know i got these grades i'm wonderful blah 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 but what makes you different from somebody else Mm-hmm. that's just my try to figure out what sets you apart from other people and then capitalize on that. Excellent advice. And uh, a couple of other follow-up questions. Um, so did you take a gap year before pursuing your MSN and do you recommend taking a gap year? And then how many students were in your cohort? Okay, great question. So I like the nature of so I, I needed I needed to graduate UCLA early. It was just so expensive, and I so I I, were, I like worked every summer and took classes so I could expedite graduating. Um, and then because I knew that I was going to apply for nursing schools, and I knew that I didn't want to pay UCLA prices for classes that I could take somewhere else at a cheaper cost. So graduated early, and then I went to Santa Monica Community College and did a few prereqs there, and then I think I did like two online through like Johns Hopkins. Um, and then like West LA had, I'm, su- I'm sure you guys have like a ton of community colleges that are near um, UCI as well that you could take uh, classes at cheaper than at a UC. And so that's, that's, what I, that's what I did. So I graduated and then it wasn't anything really exciting. Like, <laughs> it's like, oh great, well, I'm just gonna go, I'm gonna go back to school. So I actually worked as a nanny and then I, uh, and then I went, I, when I was in, in school, like for like part-time, you know, doing these prerequisites so that I had a gap year because I needed to, because I needed to take all the prerequisites for the programs. Um, that was kind of my gap year. Um, but I didn't do anything like fun and exciting. Like, uh, if that's what you're asking, like, did I travel or anything? Like, no, I just, I just kind of worked and then mm-hmm. did more school to get to my goal of getting into a nursing program. And then uh, how many, I'm so sorry. How many students were in your cohort, Becky? I want to say 70, but I honestly can't remember. I'm really sorry. That's okay. No, no, no. I know we're, we're having you think back. Um, And then there's a specific question about when you were searching, if you can recall for the MSN um, MEPIN programs, did you use a specific website or how did you go about doing that? You talked about the binder that you did. Um, yeah, I just Googled, I just Googled mm-hmm. and then there was like a lit, like there was lists that could populate like by state, like which schools had which programs. And then of course, some of these lists would be like kind of outdated and you go to the school websites and you see, oh, and you know, their, their programs under reaccreditation. So like, they're not accepting applications. I think some of the Cal states were like not accepting applications, which was like a bummer. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but there's a lot, of, but a lot of the Cal States now I think do have um, these programs that are open. Uh, but I really, I really just put in the effort. I spent a lot of time like doing research because there was no one really, um, no one, I didn't, I, I mean, I, Professor Johansson linked me up with a great student, Michelle Santizo, who I ended up going to NP school with. We were in the same cohort in NP school and she's, she's doing a step further than me. She's doing, she's getting certified in two tracks of nurse practitioner now. Um, so you know, I got to talk with people who were, I was really lucky to have Professor Johansson who had known a student linked me up with her so I could kind of um, hear about how they went about it. But I really just like, I've, I mean, I've always just been like a really gritty person and wanted to accomplish, you know, like I knew UCLA was my top choice and I wanted to do everything that I could do to get in there. Mm -hmm. And I really just spent a lot of time trying to, you know, figure out how I could do that. Um, but in the process of like making this binder, um, I found, I think I applied, I think I applied to like 12 schools. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so you really, like we have the internet. I know it's not very helpful, but I would just say use the internet. There's going to be lots of, um, websites that you can find that have lists based on the state. And then you, you'll have to go on to the schools, all these different schools, the nursing schools have websites. And then of course, you're going to have to sift through everything. Like they have a bachelor's program. They have, um, master's programs, either for entry level or for advanced practice. Nowadays, they might be dwindling on the master's for advanced practice because they're trying to focus on the DNP. Um, don't worry about any of that now, but to just try to dig a little bit and um, find the information on the School of Nursing's websites. Like the individual school's websites will be the most helpful because that's where you're gonna get the direct information. And then if you want to be a little bit extra like me, you'll find the email and phone numbers of all the, the directors and the, um, the admissions committees people. And then you can email them and call them and ask them a bazillion questions. Because uh, that's <laughs> it's, what it's, I did. It is good to do your outreach. Um, I do have a, a tip. We have something called the Anteater Career Network and we have nurses that are on that. So check out LinkedIn, check out, um, be like Gritty. I like that word grit. Um, be like Becky and, and reach out and, and have your circle of support. The other questions, Becky, that I'm seeing are about funding. Can you talk about how you funded it and any financial aid, scholarships, loans? How does that work? So usually there's like a financial aid office and there's like a person who um, is really well informed on everything there. So we had Craig Kusunoki, he's amazing. And I think he just retired, but there was lots of scholarship opportunities. I, like lots of scholarship opportunities. I was really, I really did not want to take out more loans. Like it was kind of like my mission to not do that. Mm -hmm. um, but there are loans and there are, there is, there is help. Um, but I, so I applied for like a lot of scholarships and I was really lucky. I got a good chunk of my, my degree paid for, and then just kind of self-funded the rest of it. Um, but definitely. So, and it doesn't, so there's like scholarships that you might not think you're qualified for apply for it anyways. Like who cares? Apply for it. Like there's a scholarship. Like, I mean, I just happen to be Jewish, but like, I know that there was, um, a scholarship fund for, there was like. I forget what it was called, um, but it was, I think it had something to do with Judaism or whatever, but like, I think I was like one of two Jewish students in my entire cohort. And then there was like 15 recipients. So who have no connection to the religion at all. So it doesn't matter. Just apply. Like you have to answer their questions and, you know, write an essay and it'll take you a little bit of time, but Hey, it's like free money towards your education. So, um, I, th I think it's worth it. There's lots of opportunities for scholarship and then financial aid. I would just, I would look into talking with whoever the advisor is mm -hmm. at the specific program that you will be doing. And then they can best link you up with the FAFSA. Um, I, I know, I wish I had more insight with that, but I just, I, I was able to save a lot because I was working, you know, I was working, you know, as full-time during school and I was working as a nanny after school. Um, so I was really lucky and I didn't, you know, that I have a lot of regrets, you know, I didn't, I wasn't one of these students who get, who traveled a lot and experienced the world and has a lot of culture. 
Um, I was kind of like really hyper-focused on this goal that I had. And I'm not saying that's right at all. I have a lot of regrets about it. Um, but I, the one thing I was able to do was save. Um, so good advice. Um, so Becky, let me see. I have one other question here. It's a, from a student, a nursing student. I'm a first year nursing student at UCI. To what extent would undergraduate research nursing science focus be helpful to me in setting me apart from other applicants for graduate programs? This, um, this individual is interested in a CRNA program. Ah, um, I'm trying to think, I, I mean, does the student have like an area of interest in research? Like, you know, in CRNA or you, you, there's so many things you could do research in like the field of like, you know, respiratory issues, or you could do like metabolic issues, or you could do like chemistry research, um, because you're going to be administering a lot of very potent, um, anesthetics. Uh, and I think with CRNA, um, I th any type of research that you do is going to be good, but I would say find something that's interesting to you and then do it because you're, as a CRNA, you are administering anesthesia. You are, um, anesthesiologists would get very annoyed with me saying this. Um, so some of them, not all of them, um, but you, you're doing the work of an anesthesiologist you, and then you have a circulating anesthesiologist who's supervising many of you. Um, it's very competitive to get into. It's very important that when you're finished your undergrad, you go get years of critical care experience because you will not be considered for a CRNA program unless you have years of ICU experience. It needs to be a good ICU. You can't be in like middle of nowhere hospital that they consider like a med surge patient ICU level because it's like a rural community. Like you need to be in a good hospital with good complex patients in ICU because being a CRNA is like a, a wonderful career path. Um, um, but it's, uh, you're, you're dealing with very, very um, potent medications. You're learning how to intubate. You're learning how to do epidurals. It's, it's, uh, it's a great field, but you need to get that good critical care experience first. Um, so I would say in terms of research, do something that interests you, um, anything, because if it interests you, you're going to enjoy it. Don't pick something that's, you're not going to enjoy, do something that you're going to be able to learn from it, but then also enjoy, and then really focus on getting that first job in ICU, because I just don't know of anybody who has been able to get into CRNA school without having ICU experience. Thank you so much for that. Okay. So we're going to round this off to my final two questions. One is gonna be from me and one is from a student. Um, can you talk about LORs and who you asked and how you asked and how far in advance? And I know this is having you think back to the application process, but do you remember who you asked for an LOR? Yeah, I do. And I'm, guys, I'm not saying you should be like me, but I'm just really gritty and I'm very upfront. And I, like the second I finished a rotation with somebody, I said, hey, do you mind if we can keep in touch? I know you gave me this feedback. Um, uh, do you mind if we can keep in touch? I'd love to reach out to you when I'm applying for jobs. Um, because and I don't- What about, uh, Becky, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop you. What about as an undergrad when you're trying to get into nursing? Oh, well, you were one of them. Uh, was I? <laughs> yes, you were. <laughs> Yeah, you were one of them. And then I think the volunteer, so I had won a few awards when I was volunteering. So I asked the care extenders director to write me in a, uh, a letter of recommendation. Mm -hmm. um, I remember that one. I think there was a few professors that I had who I, um, it's you know, I, I, when you go to like a really big school like UCLA or UCI, um, it's, it's a little bit harder to get letter recommendations because you're one of many, but if you have, but if, you know, I, I always went to office, I was just such a nerd. Like I'd always go to office hours. <laughs> I would like talk with the professors and it wasn't because I was just looking from, for something with them. I was just, I just, that's just who I was. And so I would get to know some of them. And then when I was applying, um, I'd be like, you know, when I studied psychology, I'd be like, you know, I really loved your class, but then I, my path has kind of changed. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be doing, you know, a PhD in psychology, but I am going to be 
applying for these schools, would you be interested in writing me a letter of recommendation? And then um, say, you know, I totally understand if you just don't have time for this right now, but if you do, I would sincerely appreciate it and it would mean a lot to me. I appreciate that. Okay, so Becky, this is our final question. I wanna be sensitive to your time because I know you've probably had a long shift today and you're joining us in, and it's already 7.30, but this is my final question. Um, what is most rewarding about your career in nursing and what would you say the greatest areas of stress and challenge are for you? Um, sorry, can you repeat the first? I question? sure can. What is the most rewarding part about your career in nursing? And then what is the most difficult or stressful or challenging about what you do? Okay. Um, I'm going to tie this back to when I was a floor nurse, because right now my job as a nurse practitioner is like very different. Um, and I don't think it's as relevant to the question, but when I was a floor nurse, um, the things that were most challenging, um, were the, the physical aspects of it for me. Um, because you are, it's physically laborious. Um, and then after, after like that part, um, I would say, you know, when you have, you know, very sad cases, you have to be able to, uh, parse out your work life from your personal life. So you're not going home to your significant other or your roommates or whoever, you know, or, or you might go home alone. I don't know, whatever, you know, whatever your situation is, you don't want to bring your, your work stress home to your, your home life. Like you need to be able to figure out how to separate it. Um, because you deserve to be happy too. Um, not everyone else's problems. You can't take on everyone else's problems. Um, and if you're not mentally well and mentally sound and physically fit, you know, like get, make time to do your exercise, make time to eat well, all of these things you need to be well before you could help other people. You know, you know, they say when you're, you know, when you, when you're becoming a lifeguard, um, you always prioritize yourself first before the person that's drowning, because without you, you, you can't even begin to save them. So it's kind of similar. Make sure that you're able to separate work from personal. That's, that's um, you're gonna inevitably as any field of nursing that you go into, I think that there's, you know, maybe if you're in oncology, it's a little bit sadder than if you're like in a PACU, like, a, like after surgery, if you're, if you're like a recovery nurse, it might not be as sad to you as someone that you're seeing, you know, in an oncology unit or someone like who's like in a you know trauma center and you're dealing with a kid that's on a ventilator after a motor vehicle accident and dying and then dealing with the family and everything. So it's very, um, there's a lot of emotional burnout because you're dealing with really sad things a lot of the times. Um, so I'd say find things that can help you like recoup. Uh, your day is gonna drain you you need to figure out things that are going to make you stronger and and feel feel less stressed from that emotional baggage and burden. Uh, I know it sounds kind of harsh, um, but you know, maybe some nurses will have endless amounts of compassion to always, you know, take on other people's um, other people's uh, suffering, um, but. I personally think that you can't take on everyone else's suffering. You can be empathetic and you can be the best nurse and take care of people really well um, and still be compassionate in your caregiving, but you can't take on other people's suffering all the time because then you're just gonna, you're gonna burn out. Um, and then the physical, don't underestimate the physical aspects of nursing. It's really, really difficult. Um, actually, one of the reasons I stopped bedside nursing and became a nurse practitioner was because I had a very bad injury um, I had a patient fall on me um, and I herniated discs. So it's very physical. Um, so if you are someone that is maybe not as like strong or I, or, or you don't really have an interest in physically helping people, I would say if you really, your heart's set on nursing, find an area where you don't have to lift heavy people like pediatrics, like, um, or where people can walk and talk like orthopedics. Um, so I would say like, be very, if you are someone that is like weaker to begin with and, or don't want to ever have to put someone on a bedpan, like a lot of, I would say, choose a specialty that's like not geriatrics or not ICU. Cause you're going to have to do that in those areas. Um, and then what 
I think the first part was what gave me joy. Yeah. What is the, the joy? Yes. What, what lights you up about your, your work? Well, I, I really just like to help people. Um, and I, I, it's, it's very rewarding when you see someone able to recover or you're able to better help a family member cope, or you're able to help them in some way, even if it's honestly, uh, I think the, the things that are less desirable about nursing are some of the most like important and intimate things like giving a patient a bath or like helping them to the restroom. Like that is so private and so uncomfortable for the patients. Like, and especially, you know, the older generation that is like not used to having people helping them. Or if you, they come from a culture where um, it's like inappropriate for, you know, it's like, you know, they're not used to being helped, um, but getting to know your patient, treating them like a human being, and then really help helping them, not just getting medications and monitoring them, but just like helping them with what they need in the moment. Um, and then I think now as a nurse practitioner, there's, there's a lot of other things that are, give me a lot of joy um, when you can like figure out a, a plan or, you know, if someone has like a, someone has a, an acute stroke and they're coming into the hospital and you're, you know, going through asking all of these questions to figure out whether or not they can get a treatment in the hyperacute phase. And then they get, they're able to get the treatment and then they go to ICU for a day and then you, and then they're, they don't have deficits. Like that's, that's amazing. Like uh, when you're able to do things to get people better, it's really amazing. Um, I, I can't say that every day you're gonna have a happy ending, um, but there's always a silver lining. I, the nature of being in, in any type of medical field, there's always gonna be a lot of sadness, but it's about what you do with that sadness and how you can, how you can help others in the process. Well, that was a beautiful way to end. And it, it's clear that you found a profession that's very much aligned with who you are as a person and brings you joy and challenges. And I have learned so much this evening, um, having you on the call, Becky, and I, I really wanna thank you so much. Um, one of the students said, grittiness hour with Rebecca. Thank you for all the feedback. I feel so motivated. So I think you have motivated everyone on the call, um, particularly if they've been thinking about nursing to explore it further. And for those who, who have already made the decision on how to reinforce that decision through, uh, you know, through a lot of the advice you've given. Um, I know that I wasn't able to uh, forward all questions to Becky, but if you wanted to email me, um, I'm happy to send those to Becky and see if she has time to respond to those questions at some point. Um, but I did want to, again, um, give uh, Becky um, a round of, of anteater applause for, for this evening tonight. Um, learned so much. Someone had asked if the recording will be available. It definitely will be up on the website if you've missed any part of it. We'll probably be up in about a week or so. So do watch our website. And Becky, thank you so much for um, spending this time with us this evening. No and uh, we're they, very grateful to have you. They can, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn too. I know that there's been students who have done that in the past and I'm always happy to reply. Well, that is a gift. So Becky said that um, you're welcome to reach out to her on LinkedIn. So that's a great way to get your questions answered even more directly. And thank you for, um, being so gracious tonight uh, with your time and uh, with sharing this this journey um, with our with our undergraduates today. So thank you so much. I hope everybody has a great evening. Nice to see you, Becky. Look, everybody. Good night. Bye, Professor Johansson. Bye. Thank you so much. Welcome. Always always enjoy connecting with you. Likewise. Thanks. Good night. Bye bye.